everybody, welcome to another Commission podcast. Uh, this is for the 1946 British film, A Matter of Life and Death, or Stairway to Heaven, as it's called in the United States. It was made by the uh, filmmaking duo of Powell and Pressburger, who uh, called their production company The Archers, starring David Niven and Kim Hunter. Uh, this was commissioned by Jamie T., longtime uh, fan of Bald Move and supporter of Bald Move. Uh, previously commissioned podcasts such as, well, the one that I jumps out in my mind is uh, All Good Things. Safe. Fucking safe. That's th- throwing red meat to, bald, to, to, to Jim and I. Uh, and uh, I appreciate her status as a Star Trek super fan and nerd. Uh, she had us watch this film. And this, uh, the premise of this film is essentially a, a young airman, British airman, uh, is limping back to home in a severely damaged bomber. He's not going to make it. His parachute his chute was shot up, and he achieves radio contact with an American servicewoman who's a radar operator, a ra- radio operator, and she's with him in his final moments uh, before he jumps out of the airplane rather than going down at the ship. And instead of dying, he wakes up on a beach and and, and uh, is reunited with his love. But it turns out heaven made a mistake. Mm. He should have died in the in the plane crash. And uh, and there's there's going to be a, a, a universal court case. Mm-hmm. And they're going to decide whether he gets to to live out his life with this girl or not. Um, there's a lot of obvious similarities to another post-war American film. Uh, it's a wonderful life Mm, that we did a Christmas uh, movie on not too long ago. Um, what did you think? I I was a little nervous about this commission because you are not a huge fan of old movies. (laughs) Uh, yeah, this is a risky, this is a risky commission. Uh, Uh, what did you, what did you think, Jim? Uh, I thought it was mostly good. (laughs) with maybe some exceptions uh i guess i find the pacing of older movies extremely slow and and boring and they tend to beat you over the head with things uh with a whole lot of exposition and stuff like that and i don't think this movie was any different from that but i found it entertaining i think in its time it was certainly innovative and interesting uh very artistically done and uh very creative so i i think it mostly holds up yeah i up until late in the third act i was like bananas about this film i was like oh god this is uh this is the british uh it's a wonderful life uh and it's holding up like a champ i have a little bit of problems with the 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 resolution of the plot that i want to talk about okay um but I was, first of all, Jamie sent us a beautiful copy, a mm. Criterion Edition Blu-ray that just got released not too long ago. I think it was back in early August. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. Like, one of the the one of the principal joys I have in watching old film is, is, is like, uh, it, it's like archaeology or, or paleobiology. Like, you can see the missing links between... Like, you know, uh, like go back in ancient history to like Greek 
tragedies and comedies up until modern filmmaking. You can trace different things like to like the evolution of stagecraft and stage plays to silent movies, to talkies, to, you know, the modern method acting. And like there is so this is such a missing link between like the films of the, you know, the Humphrey Bogart era of like the big, broad kind of artificial performances and the more natural performances that are going to come from the method acting school. Uh, it's there's a lot of very modern looking shots. Like I was really struck when the movie began and we open up in that set of the bomber and how, you know, there's a corpse here and it's on fire. And like that stuff just looked very, very shot and and directed to be very modern. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the print just popped like uh, it's so colorful um, and contrasting to the black and white of like the scenes in heaven, because that's the conceit of this movie. It's very, it's like an inverted uh, uh, Wizard of Oz, where here on Earth everything is very colorful and everything pops, and in heaven everything is desaturated. Um, I guess that that was um, an innovative technique where they filmed everything in Technicolor, but everything in heaven they just didn't fully develop it, so it had this mm-hmm. very they call it a pearly kind of sheen to it. It's not, it's not, you know, what you would call a a traditional black and white film. Um, and they kind of, they've got a way to like sometimes isolate the figures as they bleed in the color. And I thought the, the set design and the color and a lot of the filmmaking and some of the performances, especially the main that gets pretty stagey in some of the, the, the supporting actors and actresses, but Mm -hmm. I was pleasantly surprised at how kind of modern and um, uh, and and just you know excellent I guess across the board. And again, I cannot talk enough about how great the transfer is. Like yeah. you can see the individual threads in like June's uniform, uh, and you know just this 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 movie is amazing. There's a there's a shot where uh, Peter the the pilot wakes up on the beach. Uh, and like a, another bomber roars overhead, uh, and it's just, just, just gorgeous. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. You know, someone drugged this fucking Technicolor film uh, cam- uh, camera out onto the beach and shot this thing. Um, there's like some of the the heavenly stage shots are like there's this enormous staircase yeah. that or an escalator that is extremely impressive. Um, I thought the dissolve of the heavenly court into like the Andromeda galaxy or whatever was very, was, was very interesting too. Uh, so that's kind of like our, I guess I, that's, that's our, our broad opinion of the film. Uh, I figured we should see what, uh, Jamie has to say about the film and we can, you know, as we're wont to do, talk about it. Uh, so anyway, thank you, uh, again, Jamie T for commissioning this podcast, her notes. She says, this is apparently JK Rowling's favorite movie. According to the film's Wikipedia page, hmm. I looked it up and, and I guess that, so JK Rowling is the, the author of the Harry Potter C- series and her and Daniel Radcliffe. This is both of their, one of their favorite movies. And, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, you know, there is a similar kind of like caught between life and death scene at the very end of the uh, of the of the film series and the book series. And I guess they both drew a lot of the inspiration for just staging that scene and how it was visualized and how it was acted from from this movie. Um, also, this is considered to be Britain's It's a Wonderful Life, which, you know, I see a lot of similarities uh, she also said that you were allowed to hate this movie, which is which is always nice. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't hate it. That's it might be shocking to her, but I don't hate it. Uh I think there were some things that I would change in twenty eighteen on right. this movie. But uh right. so she says this film is like a balancing act to me, a timeless concept pinned to a specific date and time, fantastical places expressed through specific visual metaphors, eternal in scope, yet concerned for the individual. I was so blown away watching this movie, I turned around and watched it again immediately. Confident would be my one word description. I look forward to your thoughts. Uh, so let's give it to her. Um, let's give them to her. Give it to her seems a little bit a tad aggressive. Uh, <laughs> so I, 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 I'm struck with the comparison to it's a wonderful life because, um, I try to always ignore the person's comments until I read the movie. So like, I got the fact that like, you know, like I asked for feedback, they give me a block of feedback. I copy and paste the feedback into our feedback system. And, but I try very hard not to look at it and I didn't see that. But as soon as it's the film started up with, it's like panning over the universe and like the voiceover, it's very similar to a wonderful life where the angel is introduced and you got this cosmic court. And it's also like, you know, what's one man's life impacting others. Like it's, it's, I, I, I can immediately see the similarities without mm-hmm. even being prompted. what do you think about that? Yeah. And I thought it was actually, uh, that, that intro sequence is really well shot or well constructed. Um, cause it, it takes you, you know, across the universe and down onto planet Earth. And the voiceover is hokey. It's hokey mm-hmm. as shit, but also it's 1946. So I'm going to cut him some slack. Right. A little, uh, little incomplete understanding of how some of the universe works, too. But again, sure. 1946. It, but, but the thing is, at the time, I imagined this was a very interesting shot, like visually, just coming through the universe, zooming down onto Earth, cutting through the fog. Uh-huh. Uh, seeing, you know, the continents and then the countryside, uh, that to me would have been impressive, you know, if I had not seen many things do it much better now that it's 2018. Right. Uh, so audiences at the time must have been blown away by that. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. And uh, it's also like, you know, given how, you know, more, I, I assume people in Britain, like America, I would say it's, it's, it's fair to say probably more religious back then, mm-hmm. um, that there is like, this is not your standard Judeo Christian imagining of an afterlife. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's a lot of hints about, uh, you know, spoilers for the rest of the movie, obviously. Um, there's a lot of hints that none of this is actually real. Like I thought mm-hmm. that was one of the best of the parts I enjoyed about the movie that, you know, there is Definitely one indication, I think, that's a tell that the movie puts its thumb on the scale of, like, no, this actually happened. Yeah. But all of his symptoms, as they go, they have a doctor where it's, like, you know, um, you know, smelling weird things and seeing hallucinating and losing time and all those are, are consistent with his actual medical diagnosis of this. Um, I forget what kind of um, injury he got to uh, his brain through a concussion mm-hmm. that they actually have to do surgery on, which is a successful surgery. And he wakes up from that at the same time being cleared by the heavenly core. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that's like, it's kind of up to, the viewer's individual judgment of what actually happened. But I think that itself was kind of a bold choice. Like it's a wonderful life. Very straight up. It's just heaven. It's heaven. And there's angels and there's God and, right. you know, guardian angels and all, and, and, and all this stuff. Like I felt like this was a bit more of a humanist take on it. Yeah. And, and I think it's a bold decision also to make heaven be black and white. 
um, and to have the angels oh, yeah. come down and essentially say, oh, it feels so good to be on Earth. Right. Because that, that, in a time of people being very religious and looking forward to heaven and stuff mm-hmm. and but presuming that heaven will be the place yeah. that you want to be, it seems like this movie kind of tacks against that. Yeah, that like being alive mm-hmm. is 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 something there's a there's it's something that even the angels are envious of yeah and like because like uh i thought that was a great line of peter when he's you know um that's a thing like I, I the movie talked me into the core premise in that first scene because i'm always like i'm you know i love my wife but I would not call myself as a romantic. I'm kind of a romantic skeptic. <laughs> skeptic. Uh-huh. Uh, and like a lot of times I see like overdone romance stories and like love at first sight as kind of schlocky. But in this particular circumstance, like that would be an affecting experience. You're a young woman. You're talking to this man is, who is his last his last words. But he's so full of like life and courage and. You know, he's like, I, I and he's the things he's saying, like, I love you, June, because your life and, and I'm leaving it. Mm-hmm. And this is my last contact with it. And I, I guess I bought it. I bought it. And that's crucial in a movie like this, where the entire plot hangs on whether you believe the relationship between these two people. Uh, unlike and I, I think I'm with you. I think it mostly worked. Uh, it was it was a little bit weird in the way it was portrayed. And it was a little uh, it, it, it just felt strange while also feeling right at the same time uh but i look at movies like what dreams may come and i go i don't fucking believe the relationship that these people have they spend exactly 45 seconds of that movie setting up the relationship and it doesn't work for me right uh now the rest of that movie makes up for it but the core premise is problematic in this i definitely felt more like okay this is a man who you know is about to die and has kind of resigned himself to that. And then he discovers something new in June, right? Something else that he wants to live for. Right. Uh, and the rest of the movie is kind of predicated on that. And I gotta say, like if you're in your late teens, early twenties and you have this experience and then however (laughs) unlikely you want to say it, this guy literally washes up on the beach as you're riding by in a bicycle you give that guy a chance. Yeah, yeah, Unless yeah. he's a fucking hideous human being, which he's not. Like, he's like... It, it is funny because all these people are much older. That's the thing. That's why I laughed earlier when you said, oh, if you're in your mid-20s or right. late teens... This guy's I mean, in his mid-40s. David Niven is like 45 <laughs> in this movie playing a 27-year-old. Yeah. It and just I'm, didn't work for me, but okay. I have no idea if that's true or if he's actually just had a lot of miles on his tires, but he reads like... <laughs> I mean, it's funny because we make fun of like Jason Priestley, right? Trying uh-huh. to be a teenager in his mid to late 20s. In like Beverly Hills. Not too, they yeah. definitely... And then this is something else that this has in common with It's a Wonderful Life. Because... Uh, What's his fucking name? God damn it. I, I until you, until you drew a blank, I wasn't going. Jimmy Stewart. Yes. Jimmy Stewart is, is playing a kid in high school. <laughs> and he's <laughs> like ridiculous. 73 years old. So, like, uh-huh. that's just a, that's just a thing they didn't give a fuck about. Yeah. Like, it's movie. It's literally movie magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I thought and another thing in my research is that, and this completely went over my head. I, in fact, I thought it was like... What the hell is all that Anglo-American uh, enmity? Because it's so ridiculous, you know, like, it's so ridiculous uh, to me living in the 21st century, growing up in the 20th century, where, yeah. you know, this special relationship has existed between our countries 
for for all my life and it's something we take for granted i think literally sometimes we take for granted but like that there was back in the war uh there is a degree of hostility between uh the english people and the americans because we were seen as latecomers to the war yeah they had been surviving under years at this point of constant nazi bombardment and have lost you know landmarks and people and have been and and we are like these arrogant uh you know young dumb full of cum servicemen going or where they the the quote was we're overpaid oversexed and over here Um, (laughs) and it only got into the war when it finally touched us right 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 um so this was kind of like dealing with some of these like i said surprising sentiments but stuff that makes total sense yeah for the time yeah, and uh, it was just like you know, I mean, obviously America and and uh, and Britain started off with a rocky relationship. Mm-hmm. There was a a, a, a war uh, that I've we won, yeah. and then they they burnt down our White House, uh-huh. uh, and you know they 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 pressed some of our troops into ships. There's all kinds of tit tit tat, but like I, I think it's interesting that the two world wars kind of like welded those these these two societies together into like a like a a a brother sister brother brother whatever a fraternal a fraternal relationship yeah and a lot of that stuff is kind of what i mean when i say they hit you overhead the head with concepts because man they spend a lot of time on that in the third act of this movie yeah uh i during my research i found out that this was essentially designed as propaganda this entire movie yes the 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 company came to these directors and said hey we want you to make a film that will kind of do something to repair anglo-american relations right and so they said about they actually made this movie and another movie uh and in a weird way i feel like that actually makes the movie not as good because it it starts to feel like they're trying to accomplish two separate things. And maybe the love story here is all in the service of trying to make it palatable for people right. who wouldn't go see a propaganda film. Right. Instead of, uh, you know, a uh, uh, G.I. Joe coming over and ravishing the British women, it's a American woman who uh-huh. uh, is, is, is falls in love with a with a British serviceman, airman. I just think they're trying to tell her a romance story here, but also they're trying to be very political. And, and I don't know that doing that made the film better. Yeah, but it might've serviced their goals, but it didn't make the film better in my opinion. Um, I mean, I mean, it's interesting because like the we we talked about in our review of uh, A Wonderful Life that that movie is very political, too, mm-hmm. and is very much a reaction of this guy's experiences and going through World War Two and seeing, you know, like elements of American culture he didn't like and American uh, elements of culture he's trying to elevate. And how that other thing is like though these two movies are, are interesting to watch in light of today. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, like, this courtroom scene, like, if, you, if this movie came out today, you'd say this is aimed directly at President Trump. Sure. Because you, yeah, yeah. you see, like, every one of the Americans, they make a point of that America is this melting pot. Like, yeah. they, 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 you have a jury of, um, 
you know, British people that are prejudiced against like because they're it's essentially all the conquered people of the British Empire. Mm -hmm. You've got the Indians, you've got the Chinese, you've right. got the, the Irish, Irish. Yeah. Uh, I forget all the different nationalities, but they're all they got a grudge against the British Empire. Yeah. And then they're largely replaced by uh, American citizens, but they are too mm -hmm. Indians and uh, Chinese and Japanese and German and Irish Americans and like. I mean, yeah, like we've 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 talked about this on Bald Move all the time, and to a point where it's like somewhat frustrating to me that like I I honestly can't believe f for hundreds of years of having animosity towards immigrants that we are so quick that every generation fucking started up again. Right. You know, and how it's like the essential unfairness of some like, you know, like, like, like uh, immigrants, like for ourselves, like you're, you know, coming from uh, Italian American stock. I'm from German American stock. We have shed all of our stigmas, uh, stigmas as we shed our, uh, you know, I, I my, my grandfather took off his lederhosen. Uh, his son and grandson have no German accent, and we're just Americans. Yeah. We are we have been laundered through the the melting pot system, and we're fully integrated Put society. The American tumbler, yeah, yeah. But like you know, uh, people from Africa, people from like the Asia, like they they've got certain markers that they can't shed. Uh, yeah. Latinos, Latinas, like they're kind of like stuck until they either like. You know, until America changes to accommodate them, honestly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And like, you know, like, what is the difference between a third generation Latino immigrant and a third generation German immigrant? I would like for someone to tell me because one guy is going to get shit at uh, traffic stops in an airport and one guy, me, is not. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's interesting how beloved like a wonderful life is. And yet it's an antithesis of what. um like modern American economic theory is like it's uh, it's almost it's almost very socialist uh, in like, you know, that you should you, the, 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 and how it views the acquisition of wealth and greed and all that other stuff. And at some point, mm -hmm. you know, in the late 70s, or early 80s, America flipped and decided all that stuff was bullshit and Pollyanna. And, you know, it's Gordon fucking Gecko's greed is good. And that became the thing that we worship and idolatrize. And I, I kind of think we need to start going back to the A Wonderful Life and A Matter of Life and Death uh, type of filmmaking, if that's what it takes, because Jesus. Maybe so. But I don't know that they should have mixed the two things in this movie. I think you you have this essential idea in this film of is love a thing that can exist and is it worthy of having this mistake be you know perpetuated letting mm -hmm. this guy stay because he has unfinished business which is the love that he developed right in that quote-unquote borrowed time right and that to me was the core of this movie and then somewhere in that third act they just dump this british america political thing on you and i'm like well you're mucking up this entire movie i thought this case was going to be about one thing yeah but it's about something else entirely and they use the love thing to kind of hang the politics on right. like can an american even love a british person right, right. like they do that but it, it's it just comes off as flimsy as a flimsy way to get into the point that they were really trying to make and i feel like this movie would have been better with one or the other yeah i also thought it was interesting that contemporary reactions from a lot of uh uh englishmen and women were that this is too pro-america 
like oh english empire bad american melting pot good i mean um, it, it is yeah no it, it <laughs> it's totally definitely is. in there it totally is but i also think that like part of i think because i guess i started thinking about like can you imagine living through a time period where two world wars are in living memory right like 20 years before like 100 million people are dead and now 20 million year, or 20 years later another 100 200 million people are dead mm-hmm. like i feel like one of the problems broadly with western culture right now is that we don't think that it can all be taken away hmm. that we are this close to some kind of um societal collapse or an existential threat or that you know we know how you know, like like the, the that that just just everyone you know has lost someone through this um and like it's it's so far removed like it's been so long since we've had like a war of existence or like you know um i mean our our, our biggest tragedy in living memory is 9-11 where a few thousand americans died and that was definitely horrific but that was a good day in any of the world wars mm. and i sometimes think that like a lot of our a loss of that, like looking out after our, our brothers and, you know, um, care for fellow man and, and try kind of guardianship and stewardship and civil service has been lost because we just think that we can do whatever the fuck we want and nothing, nothing too bad is going to, uh, going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like, you know, you can't separate either of the films we're talking about from the point. In, um, and it's like, maybe that's why they feel like they can veer hard into politics because it's an important lesson. People need to learn it. Damn it. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that was the goal when they set out to make this movie. I just think, you know, they tried to confuse the two things, but probably that's what's going on behind the scenes and the heads of the people making this movie is that America is this new kind of thing where the people that we would fight wars with the people that would want to kill us and we'd want to kill them can all live on this land right together mm-hmm. you know and so if the director and the writers come at it from that angle then you get the movie we got right i think right uh so uh, whether that's the right or wrong answer whether that's good or bad uh i don't i don't know that i'm here to judge that do you I think, think i think it is but I, so do we I'm trying to think of our conversation with it's a wonderful life. Do you think that that was a more successful project because it never shied away for its core th- uh, themes, which is un uh, unregulated capitalism is is terrible. It, and it, it really and it, did. And, yeah. And, 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 and that was the, that the, was the hammer whole, at the end. Right. Even, right. Right. It, it wasn't even like the love. The romance was there. Sure. But it was a little bit more. The, the romance was the B plot. It was the B plot, yeah. Uh, where, Whereas this felt like the romance started as the A plot and it became the B plot. Yeah, and it makes sense because, like, I think what triggered it is the fact that the Heaven chose as a prosecutor just a virulently anti-British yes. American. He was the the first American killed in the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't know why that would give you an eternal boner again. What uh, once you've you've been in <laughs> heaven for a few hundred years? I don't know why you've got an eternal boner against the the British because you know everything worked out okay and you're in heaven. Right. right? Are you watching or not? But he really, really, really hates the 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 Brits. Yeah. Um, especially ones that are loving good Boston girls because he's also an old old. Uh, he's he's from Boston stock himself. He is. Um. But yeah, yeah, I felt like that they the the A plot got hijacked by the B plot yeah. and maybe I don't know, like 
I wonder why... I wonder why... It, it almost seems like... A better movie would have been like the lean into the enmity between the different the uh, the U.S. servicemen and the British servicemen, and like a set of both of them die, but one of them it can, sh- and like the actual British and American servicemen are the ones doing the judging and jurying and all that kind of stuff. No, I think there's a better movie in there, um, and, and I, I won't say like night and day better, right? Because I think this movie is good. Right. Uh, I will just say, I think there is a better movie in there, and we could debate the plot all day. Right. <laughs> and we could just essentially rewrite this movie if we wanted to. Right. But I think they remade it in 2017. Did they really? I think so. Huh. Interesting. Uh, what else we want to talk about? Um, I have some questions that, uh, or here's some things I here's some things I enjoyed. Uh, I really liked. Um, there's so much. Uh, so many opportunities for the filmmakers to inject color and like whimsy into this film, like mm-hmm. when uh, Peter and Jane are or June rather are meeting with the doctor for the first time, and they're at a facility that's having a play. They're doing a Midsummer's Night Dream. Oh yeah, yeah. So there are all these people that are practicing their lines in the background, and they've got these elaborate, like really colorful costumes and their wigs and stuff. It's just like. That didn't have anything to do with anything, mm-hmm. but it was a nice way to have like extra interesting things going on in the background. Yeah, a lot uh, of activity in those scenes other than just playing chess and talking about his potential ailments. Yeah, it also allowed them to show some like gorgeous uh, Technicolor 1946-era games. That's true. Uh, there's That's like, true. You know, it's like, oh, let's just use the state-of-the-art technology to like, uh, just show like a really <laughs> beautiful woman's pair of legs for a couple of minutes, right. apropos of nothing, you know? Why not? Uh, and then and Peter's like, I can't see anything but the legs. <laughs> Doctor's like, you must have a brain cloud. We have to uh, uh, operate. Um, but there's like a lot of like, I just, there's like, it's just throwaway stuff like in that scene where the director is trying to get these, these goofy servicemen to do their lines and, 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 uh, you know, appreciate the the way Shakespeare is supposed to be performed. And one of the ignorant Yanks is like, after the director shows him, is like, oh, can I do it with the business? Because he's talking <laughs> uh-huh. about like, like poking the guy and doing all this other crap. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Um, uh, Peter's friend, Bob Trobshaw, who is the guy, the, oh, the, the everybody else, I guess, got out of the bomber because they had parachutes. But Bob Trobshaw got taken around. And he died in the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of kicks the in. You know, he's kind of the one that like we, we see the explanation of what happened. The fact that uh, this uh, kind of dandy um, French aristocrat that died in the Revolutionary War at the guillotine got distracted or whatever and forgot to usher this guy into heaven. Yeah. This dude looks exactly like Nigel Thornberry from the Wild Thornberries. I mean, I'm telling you, down like he's got the fucking crazy mustache, the wild everything, hmm. everything. I kept expecting him to speak like Tim Curry, um, but I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed like the scenes of heaven where people are getting their wings and they're like being issued in like mm-hmm. dry cleaning bags or whatever, and they're kind of like very Art Deco looking. I thought that was really cool. I, I really enjoyed the doctor. Um, th- this movie was really boring the shit out of me until the doctor shows up. Oh, okay. Uh, and then I, I was like, okay, this is an interesting examination of, you know, is this guy actually insane? Does yes. he does he have a mental illness that is causing him to think that these things are happening to him? And to me, that was an interesting question, or right. at least an interesting process to ponder. Yeah. 
there's a, a couple scenes where they transition between, I think it's a scene where they're gassing him for the surgery and they actually show the camera from within like the perspective of his eyeballs. Very as better it, call Saul. I was like, yeah, like where did that come from? Oh, <laughs> but he does have the world's thinnest eyelids. He does, yeah, you can almost like he closes them and it's still daylight out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, or maybe he's got, in, he's got internal light shining from his eyes. <laughs> um, but I thought there is a lot of like really cool, aspects of that i and i can't say enough about that set that's the um escalator to heaven yeah because you go past all these you know um the the frenchman uh is like you know showing him all these like great orators from the past and i guess like i did some research and and i guess these are all people not only um were these like great individuals from history but they supposedly all suffered from epilepsy or some other neuro neurological they died of some neurological condition which is another thing. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, I suppose, technically. Oh, was he one of them? That's I thought Lincoln shown? was in there, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, well, I, mean, I technically... guess, yeah, a bullet through the brain is a neurological condition. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's bullshit. This is an article I read. Um, sounds like bullshit. If Lincoln's in there, it's bullshit. I also thought it was interesting that they show Muhammad. Yeah, yeah. But you only get to see, like, the plaque. They never actually show because, you know, mm. it's, uh, it's 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 a, it's uh, against uh, the Islam religion to have an image of Muhammad. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I was surprised and kind of impressed that they, they, they knew not to do that. Interest, uh, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, no, I thought that whole set is beautifully constructed. And, and you mentioned, you know, the eyelid thing. That right. was really cool. Um, the other, you know... Two things I thought were awesome is that intro sequence that we talked about and also that gigantic courtroom. Mm-hmm. Like when they pull out from yeah, it, and you can yeah. see just the vast expanse sort of in a Westworldy type setting. Right, right, right. right. Uh, I thought that was super cool. The imagery in this film is really, really good. Yeah, and it's inventive. And that's the thing I love about this and like, um, you know, things like Singing in the Rain is it's so much, so much imagination and color and it's all fucking real. Yeah, practical like, effects. It wasn't something that someone, you know, came up with and AutoCAD and textured and rendered. It's like somebody like that. I, I read the details of that escalator. It's like the f- steps were like 30 foot wide and it had like a 20 horsepower <laughs> engine powering it that was so loud. They, they had the, the they had the ADR, all the dialogue yeah. in that scene. But it's like so graceful and peaceful. You would never know, yeah. you know, because they're playing the heavenly heart music and. Um, I thought the, 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 the dubbing was, was, was pretty good there too. Cause I didn't, I didn't notice that. I guess I should have, I know like something had the power of that damn thing. Well, I mean, ideally you wouldn't notice it. Um, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, I guess I was surprised. I, what the, um, you know, there's, so they had a lot of limitations. Some of those limitations, like the stop time effect I thought was, Pretty bad. It's just at some it's just the director yelled freeze, right? And, and you the can actors see would like kind of shake and kind of move. But sometimes they would go to like an actual frozen still. Yeah. But they didn't bother to have any continuity between the. Mm. It, it's almost like, and and I think it's like there's it's something precious about that. Like apparently at the time, people just like that's a special effect, yeah. standing really still and then showing a frozen <laughs> image, and no one noticed that like. Well, shit, in the still frame, she's only on one foot and she's leaning forward and she's doing, then she's smiling. And then when she's over here, she's got, there, there's no attempt at doing any kind of shot con, continuity, which yeah. I also think, like, I guess no one noticed that. 
because that's like, just didn't care. It's not hard to do, right? Sure. Like having shot continuity between you know the freeze frame and the next one, like that's just all in staging and and. But yeah, I guess this is the days where. You had to fucking develop the film. You couldn't just like go back and look at the dailies or go <laughs> right, back in the right. hood and see like, oh, no, nah, June, you're you're on your left foot now. You're on your right. Can we reset? Yeah. Like two, two, three weeks later, you get the prints back and Probably, you go, oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And speaking of, you know, back in the days, uh, that that intro sequence is awesome. But there before that, there is the credit sequence. Right. And you look at the the number of people who worked on this, and I bet they just didn't have anybody looking at continuity. Yeah, you're right. Because the 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 intro credits, as far as I understand, are everybody who worked on the movie. Yeah. And they're short. They're yeah. like maybe 15 uh, pages of large font people. Right. And you compare that to something like Mission Impossible, the latest oh, Mission God. Impossible. and Thousands it, of people And even if you take movies. the digital effects and stunt people away, still yeah. so many people involved in making this film. It's like it's much, much larger in scale, you mm-hmm. know? And they uh, have people dedicated now to just doing continuity. Right, right. The, the stage manager's... We're looking at, are you standing in the same spot? Right. The, the same foot. Well, that's know? why I say I love seeing those evolutionary links of like, you know, I bet someone was in, you know, saw this film growing up or was impressed by it. I guess this was a big, um, uh, I, I, something Ebert made a connection to the end of his review is that this was, uh, I guess, a favorite film of Martin Scorsese, too. But hmm. you can see like a director like, oh, wow, yeah, you could stop time. Hey, if I ever stop time, I want to make sure that people's feet match up and stuff like that. Like you, right, it's like, it's right. like everybody stands. You stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before you because. But it took someone's imagination to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of of other effects, I mm-hmm. or or actually the freeze effect, what they lack in, I guess, the visual quality there, they make up for in the audio quality because I thought it was very eerie having the entire audio track drop out. Right, except for the people's voices. Right, they bring it back in when somebody speaks, um, and there's a little bit of background noise, but there is dead silence. Yeah, like the like the physical like, and and it's kind of like a surprising a modern concept of like um, the revolution or the uh, French Revolution angel saying like, "I we are not speaking in time; we're speaking in space." Yeah, like yeah. the concept has been divorced. So. You know, you can affect the material world, but there's not going to like sounds not going to travel mm-hmm. and like all this other stuff. I thought that was Just pretty me, cool. a, a little bit inconsistent there, too, because uh, David Niven steps uh, w- wakes up. They're outside playing ping pong. Right. And he right. wakes up in the chair and he goes to rush outside and he knocks over a stack of books. Mm-hmm. And then in a subsequent scene. He gets off the operating table or something and just walks right through a door. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, Where's, yeah. where's your consistency there? But yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But there it goes. So, like, what, I mean, what is your opinion as far as the actual happenings here? Do you think What's that... What's actually going on with him? What, I mean, and I, 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 mean, I don't care what you, the atheist, thinks. I'm thinking, what do you think yeah, the yeah. movie thinks? Right, right. Um, I, I guess my preferred interpretation of this is a man who is desperately clinging to life... After falling from a plane, and previously and suffering found, from an uh, undiagnosed uh, neurological condition, right? And he does have um, he he doesn't actually have a mental illness. What he's doing is he's dying on that operating table, mm-hmm. and he's he's remembering this woman who he spoke to in his last moments, 
and he fell in love in those moments and he is now clinging to life to try and come back to her hmm. that's th- my interpretation of it well because like i think the movie uh, it's there's two things i think are like the the most telling of the evidence uh because because there's a lot of stuff that could go either way like you know the fact sure. that, like why does he smell fried onions when this frenchman shows up mm. it's, it's, it's got to be because of the tumor right but is there some revolution he, thing he, french revolution yeah it's, it's the french french fried onions french fried onion right. soup is like a staple people smell like french onions they do they do um like because like you know chefs at the time wanted to save save time they're they're executing all these aristocrats on the guillotine just just put some produce on their neck so you can get that you yeah you're, you're, you can start chopping you can uh-huh. start chopping it save it saves time might as well it's double work otherwise <laughs> but i but but there's like two things. One, the co- the celestial judge mm-hmm. is the same guy who is the head surgeon. Is he really? I think that is a pretty good indicator that this is all a fantasy, that he is taking elements of what's actually going on and the neurological condition and, you know, making sense of those things, the seizures he's having. So is this a man who is trying to convince himself to love an American woman? <laughs> No. On his deathbed? No, I think he genuinely loves her. It's just like he's trying to explain. Like, like, if you're going crazy, how do you explain the things that you're experiencing? Like, Oh, I, I get it. But it seems like this whole court case is about whether or not a British person can love an American person. And so if that's all happening within his own head, isn't he trying to take his preconceived notions about uh, female Americans mm-hmm. and rid himself of those so that he can love this woman i don't know what is this pre what what is his preconceived notions of american women he he essentially spells them out by talking about how the british hate the americans are we talking about peter yeah he's trying to convince himself yeah if this is all happening in his own head huh oh okay i see what you're saying i see what you're saying yeah then he would start with those well feelings and so, come out the other side of them. So interesting. So you're saying this is a man warring with his own prejudice. Right. Like he has found a... I think I've just tied this movie you know, together I, in a way that really satisfies me, actually. Yeah, I, know, I can tell. Uh, on, so, on second thought, maybe I really like this movie. Me, and it's okay. not two separate movies. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me see if I can echo this back. So you're saying this man has natural prejudices against the Americans the way most British people did. He meets a single like and like you do like right. you know like if you uh, if, if 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 you if you grew up in a racist town small town and you meet a black person and they're all right you think that's you don't think like oh maybe I was wrong about black people you think mm-hmm. oh there's a good black person right right you know and I, I'm fully aware of how insane this is I'm just using yes. it as an example so he meets an exceptional American girl that he really likes and this is his wrestling with that prejudice yeah. Um, compound compound with this psychological so 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 he's like coming to grips with it interesting interesting concept that makes the two halves of this movie much more satisfyingly melt together because i guess i i guess this is like to me if it's just all if if i want to take this as all like symbol symbolic that his overcoming this kind of capricious and silly cosmic court is just him trying to put in context the battle that he's having for his life like he Mm -hmm. has to go through like like he He's helpless because he's going to be on the operating room unconscious and he's going to be suffering from like, you know, these these hallucinations and whatnot. So he contextualizes them as being persecuted by a higher power because what else the fuck is he going to do? Yeah. Just like, okay, well, I got to fight this spider tumor in my head. 
or whatever. I, I it was something like that. It was I, I remember it had like it was something arachneum made me sound like brain spiders. I don't like it. It did, yeah. It's like it's essentially Joe versus the volcano's brain cloud, except for I guess real. Um, yeah, uh, that's 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 but, but they cool. do they also do other stuff that kind of puts that into doubt, right? Like having Bob be a POV character, right? Because there's no explanation for why he would why he would see those scenes or even why those mm-hmm. scenes would be in the movie if it was all from the POV inside his own head of, right. of himself. Does Peter, because so I've only seen this film the one time uh, and I do want to see it again. In fact, I was so impressed when we saw it yesterday up until I started like, oh, uh, because like, we haven't gotten my third act problems yet. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was like, I knew we had a free night last night and I was going to like take this Blu-ray home and like demand Cecily watch it. And I still was <laughs> kind of thinking about that, but then she had plans and it kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. But um, shit, where's I going with this? Don't ask me, I was man. saying that I was so impressed with this film, and... You're, you're the Bob in my <laughs> in my life. Oh, I can't get your POV. I yes. don't know. So I didn't watch this a second time, but the, when I do watch it, because I am going to watch it a second time, and I, I want to tear into these Criterion Special Edition features and all that kind of stuff that I just didn't have time for in the context of this commissioned podcast, but does Peter know that that the Doctor is dead? Um... I mean, when he sees him in heaven alongside the the onion conductor. Well, no, I'm not. I'm talking about. There. Is, there, is there evidence that he knows in the real world oh. before? Because like, if mm, he sees that's him, a, that's good. Yeah, if he sees him because he died. Like they they take him. They take him in a hospital and in, in an ambulance during a storm, and the and the doctor drives separately, mm-hmm. and he's killed. And I know that I think there's a scene where, like, right before they prep him for surgery, he wakes up and they mention that he's not going to be there because he's dead. But I think he sees the doctor and taps him as his defense uh, uh, attorney before then. And, like, that's a pretty pretty big piece of evidence that this is actually happening, quote unquote, in reality. The Mm -hmm. other thing is the book in his pocket. Like, I don't see how that book gets gets there unless uh, the 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 French revolutionary angel puts it there. Yeah. So you've got huh. um those those are like that's I said there's it seems like there's two evidence like that the fact that uh the celestial court guy is the doctor seems like it's proof that it can't be because that guy's manifestly not dead. Right. So that's his imagination. But the I book, didn't notice that guy, which oh man. But which the, I had time to go look at well, that. That's what I'm saying, like second time through I watch I'm gonna be looking for like I'm gonna be yeah. watching this inception style to see how much of it hangs together. But or or if the movie is like kind of straight down the middle or if it's leaning one way or another. The judge's nose is your totem. Yeah, it is when it stops growing. <laughs> that judge has a sh- <laughs> celestial schnoz. He sure does. It it needs it needs a galactic environment in which to exist. Yeah, wow, it's pretty pretty impressive. Uh, do you know what the hell British double summertime is? I don't. Okay, I I had to look this up because they they mention it in passing, and obviously, British people of the era would have obviously known I f- what it I is. I figure it's some kind of Hobbit second breakfast bullshit. No. They're like, oh, so, oh, yeah, we've had summertime. Just an excuse to drink. But what about drink? double summertime? Or maybe that's why, right. like, England's been on fire because they've been, it's, this is the rare double summer that only comes around every 50 years. Uh, no, it's much more mundane than that, unfortunately. Is it essentially the same thing as daylight savings time? It is, but they did double daylight savings time to push their time zone for, for like, five years, from, like, the 1940 to 1945. The confused Germans? Uh, yes, to throw the Germans <laughs> off the, the trail. No, they, they pushed their time zone out two plus hours. 
I guess. Interesting. And, why, and just I don't to know save why. more, just to save power. I, I mean, I was I was reading about like daylight savings time in, in the British Empire, and it it seems like they have during history at times done that to save like in in wartime to Is save that, fuel, yeah, that kind of stuff. But this just seemed like arbitrary. Like we want to, we want to go to a different time zone. Yeah, it's wild because I think I mean I. I think that daylight savings time is bullshit. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Um, I like, could I could see where you could manipulate it to maybe save power, maybe save energy. Yeah, because of like the majority of the people, like if if the sun's rising at five o'clock and the majority of people aren't going to get up for another right. two hours, then why not? But that's an argument to make daylight just just to advance your time zone, yeah. like the whole like I I think I think uh, springing forward, great idea. We should spring forward and just stay there. This falling back is where it gets to be bullshit. Gotcha. You know, because like, like I feel like in the winter, it's the worst of all worlds. I go to work at dark. I yeah. come back at, at dark. Mm-hmm. Like if, if we skate but straight forward, at least I can at least I can at least drive home in in the daylight. You it's, know? it's OK to have more of that that darkness because you're not trying to grow crops. What the man farmers don't give a fuck about daylight. <laughs> save. that's that's the biggest <laughs> myth I've ever heard, because, you know, who doesn't know, you know, who doesn't use clocks, fucking cows. And fucking Cows. corn yeah. and soybeans. Mm. So, like, the farmer has Roosters. to stay on the actual cosmic clock, which is the solar and lunar cycles, and they don't give a shit. They don't know. This, the, they, what about the commerce that happens around the farmers? Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing out what does, ideas. What does, what does a cow need with a credit card? <laughs> Let me any, ask you this. What no does God need there? with a court? What does God need? You're right. What does God need with a court? So, another piece of evidence that this can't possibly be actually happening uh, is that God has a court, mm-hmm. which to me says that there, well, we know, actually we know factually from the movie that there is dishonesty in heaven. Mm. Like this, this onion conductor can lie, can, can try to deceive you and right. take you up the staircase to right. heaven by straight up fucking lying to right. you. The old British idiom, uh, when the French guy sends you up the escalator. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not sending me up the escalator, Pat Boyo. Yeah, so I mean, I guess a court is warranted if there's dishonesty. That implies that there would be trickery, and that's a biblical concept because, like, you know, had the trial of Job or the. But I mean, God doesn't. God doesn't Satan. get talked circles around. God, yeah, God doesn't have a conductor that he sends out who collects bodies and can be talked out of it. And God can see and this loophole that's like, fuck. I guess this has never been decided before. And I can't just decide it in an instant, even though I'm out of time and space. It is interesting that heaven makes mistakes. They're few and far between. Like the last one happened like 673 years ago. But like that, yeah. that is that's what I'm saying. Like in the beginning, like there that's it's kind of I don't know. Maybe back then when people were more religious, they also had a better sense of humor about it. Because as I feel like so, as yeah. as the you know, there's this quote unquote threat of religion. You got the, you know, just a truly stupid idea of a war against Christmas that like mm-hmm. things are getting brittle and more reactionary. It's like so like, you know, like when everyone was a Christian and you you poked a little fun at heaven and oh, they got clerical errors and stuff. Everybody's like a ha ha. And now it's like serious fucking business. Right. No fucking way. It places runs like a top. Uh, I don't know. Because uh, I I don't I don't get down on any of that stuff. Um, Does it, the idea that you could talk your way out of a decision that heaven has made, yeah, is a truly ridiculous concept. And and the moment it happened, I was like, oh god, I'm gonna hate this movie. So so here's the so I got to get to round two because because. I didn't have much problem. I didn't have much problem. So honestly, the last ten minutes of the film. Okay, yeah, let's talk about. It, I, I don't was know waiting you... this whole time for the tear that the guy collected oh. to be, and I was like, "How? 
the there, there must of love, be right? there must be some like badass soliloquy that this guy and he's going to pour out this tear and it's going to be like it's like i was thinking like man it's going to make rainfall and there's going to be a rainbow or some shit mm-hmm. and they try to use it and the court's like Ah, bullshit. Yeah, this <laughs> pretty tear. much just say that's not really evidence. So then they do the whole thing. It's like, well, then it's uh, the, the tale of two cities tra- uh, trade places with them to prove that you you take his place to prove you love. And as soon as she does, then like, like nothing is stronger in the universe than law. But on Earth, it's love. But they're in the universe, so law should be stronger. But love, earthly love, breaks the escalator. Well, I think that to what me, I think happened, I thought that was a fun. That's almost like the the archers here got like like oh we know we have third act problems. You know what? Fuck it. She'll <laughs> yeah. just she'll just take his place, and just then the escalator the escalator will break, and or maybe the escalator broke. The twenty horsepower engine exploded in the final day. Couldn't of, film anymore, and they're yeah. like, you know what? Stop. Hey, hey, June, <laughs> come come, here, come come run down to your man. Run down to your man. Run down to Peter June, and then like okay, cut rap cocktails. I, I think what happened is. Heaven acknowledged that that love would be a reason to keep him on Earth, and that that was law. I didn't feel like they but, made but that they, case. I, I agree with you. I don't think. I, I don't know. This movie got so preachy and and kind of like I, I don't know a little a little too up its own ass at the end for me, and I just sto- sort of stopped following it. Uh as closely as i was before but i think what happened is they established love as law in heaven like Uh if if these people love each other he can stay but the the thing that they didn't establish was whether or not they they actually actually loved each other right and they dismissed the the tear on the rose right uh as evidence and so they needed that demonstration of it by both of them Mm. like he was telling her no you can't go he was desperately trying to stop her until he was literally frozen in time solomaic sense to that like you know split the baby in half oh no i don't want you know like okay then then, yeah it's right and and you get the whole baby sure (laughs) yeah you get yeah (laughs) whoever whoever says don't cut the baby gets the baby uh bible's an interesting book to read folks um okay so do we want to because that's i said i was just i i thought because i was like you know not unmoved by the point they're trying to make about america versus britain and all that kind of stuff i don't have the problems i didn't think that i it was a zig and a zag but i'm like okay well you know this is it set in time and place and whatever i was just really disappointed that they made such a big deal about like yeah they had Chekhov's rose with Chekhov's tear and the fucking thing didn't fire or it fired and it was a dud. It was a dud, yeah. And then the resolution happened, like... It's weird because this movie is very short. It's like an hour 40, maybe, yeah. with with the super long credits at the front and all that. So, like, it you is. know, it's like it's all like essentially a 90-minute film. Uh, they needed, like, maybe 15 more minutes where they, they did some kind of orate... Like, they did some kind of logical conclusion to it. Because, um, like I said, that, that last bit of the legal defense didn't feel like it was it was earned and then there yeah, was also yeah. like i thought um and then maybe that's because like the the spell was broken but like i thought all the um, the denouement was kind of uh unnecessary like oh well, here's this new lifespan holy shit that's a big lifespan that's too generous haha <laughs> <laughs> just kidding what do you think that number was you think well, that someone who's out of time has a concept of is how he's much... gonna live to be 130 <laughs> and june dies next week oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she didn't get this loophole. That's that's it's going to be the real funny thing. But yeah, like I thought, like that 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 it um, 
I don't know. The movie kind of uh, overstayed its welcome. That's that's happened a lot of late. I feel like because the same thing. I had the same complaint uh, with um, uh, that's the 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 J not JFK um, a few good men. Oh yeah yeah like your take your this this is like to me as soon as she ch- checked that and like the heavenly court was gaveled out of session it should have just gone back to him waking up from the surgery and sh- you know show oh, i can't believe you made it through peter it's so wonderful and then the hug and that's that's the movie mm-hmm. i didn't need to see the prosecution and the defense wrangling over his sentence right but um there's there's one final shocking thing that this I is the part, this is part of the podcast where Jamie has been seething with air, 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 narrowed eyes for the last five minutes because she said we could hate the film, but <laughs> in, well, in, in the in the stark reality of us hating on the film, uh, she she it's it, it's not it's not fun. But we we can have a little more fun okay. before we leave. Uh, if this is all in his head, do you think that Peter is a pedophile? <laughs> Be- because this naked boy. On the beach comes oh, out of nowhere. Yeah, comes out of nowhere and shocked me. Apparently, they're just naked British flute boys. Yeah, just surfing on the beach. Yeah, yeah, and not like when a stranger comes up in in full clothes, no modesty, no, no. like, oh, hey, I'm just uh, I'm chilling here naked, letting it all hang out. I I'm actually surprised that in 1940 they would even hint that there was such a thing as nudity. Yeah, and if we want to talk about eroticism, uh, how about the uh, the gong banger? In, oh yeah, in the studio store. So that dude, right? Yeah, nineteen forty six, gong banging hot. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fucking Atlasian god uh, or titan, I guess. Um, okay, anything else you want to talk That's about? That's all I got. All right, Jamie. I hope you enjoyed uh, the the podcast that we did on one of uh, your favorite movies. Nineteen forty six is a matter of life and death. I feel like I'm a better person for seeing it and a more well rounded uh, m- uh, uh, movie critic, whatever the hell I am nowadays. Um, and I can't wait to delve into the special features of the Blu ray. Uh, once again, thank you for your support of Bald Move, and thank you for commissioning the podcast. We've got a whole bunch of good stuff coming, uh, and we're going to be trying to uh, once again advance the, the the tempo of these last few commissions. Uh, we got all kinds of stuff. We got uh, I know one of them is JFK. Uh, what's another one? We got Laura. Is that one of them? Yeah, it's Laura. But there's there's um uh uh what what's the the thing? Oh yeah, John Carpenter, nineteen eighty something. Uh, shit, that movie's good. Blade Runner, the director, like the two thousand seven yep. director's cut refurbished with the Blade Runner. That'll be a fun one to talk about in light of the the new one uh, having already come out. Got an interesting slate coming up. Uh, stay tuned for all that at baldmove.com. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.